Attention. It's time to register for Elusian Live 2024, April 7th through 10th in San Antonio, Texas. Illuminate, innovate, inspire, explore higher education's greatest opportunities with future ready ideas, solutions, and best practices designed to drive transformation. Register now at elive.elusian.com. This conference is going to be epic. By now, you've heard me talk about Insights EDU in Phoenix, Arizona, February 20 through 22nd. Here's why I think you should join us at the Insights EDU conference. It's one of the few conferences focused on helping schools serve today's online and non-traditional students. If you're concerned at all about where your enrollments are going to come from in 2024 and beyond, and you should be concerned, you need to be at this conference. Register now at insightsedu.com and use promo code EDUP to save $50. Prepare to be astonished. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to EDUP on the EDUP Experience Podcast, where we make education your business. This is Dr. Joe Salustio back with you for an 800 and something if time now as we pass four years of podcasting over 800 episodes 365,000 downloads and you continue to honor us uh, with your support of this podcast which is why we continue to do it uh, I want to just let everybody know and um, this episode co should come out here in the next couple of weeks you can find us uh, recording live at insights edu that's a conference hosted by education dynamics it's in Phoenix Arizona it's on February 20th through 22nd of this year 2024 very very excited of course if you want to come and and register you can use code ed up for $50 off your registration why would you not want to save $50 um, saving money and spending money is an interesting topic isn't it something that uh, we all um, do on a daily basis some of us spend more some of us save more some of us like to use a credit card um, and put things on a credit card for example and then pay them off by little or right away. Uh, and that's something that uh, the one of the most interesting things happened to me the other day. Um, my kids got the report card. I'm going to bring in our guest in a minute. She didn't know that I was going to rant like this, but my kids got the report card and I decided I'm going to be like my dad. And I'm only like my dad a few times um, in life. But one of the things my dad did is he gave me $3 per A. And I thought that was a, a massive, like every time I got an A, I would get three bucks. And as a young kid, that was a lot of money, right? Getting 20 bucks or whatever, $21. So my, I said, I'm going to do the same thing my dad did. I'm going to give my kids three bucks for every A. Well, that was about 10 days ago. And I literally don't have cash. I don't have cash. I don't even remember how to get cash. I, I have like $2 in my wallet at all times. Um, I told my wife, I'm like, go get some cash. She's like, ah, I got to go over here. I got to get cash. Got to go to the bank. It's a, and the next thing you know, or 10 days later, my kids are like, where's my money? Where's my money? Um, but it does show you the state of things today, uh, which is why this guest has a lot to say. And I'm going to bring her in now. You'll get the whole transition thing uh, when I introduce her, ladies and gentlemen. Her name is Robin Sachs Frankel, and she is the lead editor for Credit Cards at USA Today. Robin, welcome to the mic. Hi, thanks for having me. Do you carry cash, Robin? I almost never carry cash, much to my children's chagrin. So your story is very relatable. Uh, the, the, I mean, being the lead editor for Credit Cards at USA Today, obviously you're doing 
uh, a lot of writing about uh, uh, personal finance in general. I would call you a personal finance expert. Um, which one of the most interesting things about cash as we have this conversation um, is that people don't take it as much as they used to. In fact, my father-in-law, he likes, he's an Italian guy. He's got, he's got his cash, you know, and he goes into some places and he tries to take pay with cash and they go, Oh no, 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 we don't, we don't take cash anymore. I only use a credit card. Is is that true? Are businesses just refusing cash these days? Uh, I mean, there's been a little bit of controversy about that. I know in Manhattan, that was a big issue because not accepting cash tends to penalize the underbanked. That mm. is people who don't have bank accounts um, for whatever reason. Maybe they came from countries where they didn't trust the banking system. Uh, maybe they just haven't established. Maybe they just don't trust banks for whatever reason. Maybe they don't feel comfortable with it. Maybe they don't have enough uh, money to even start a bank account. So there's all kinds of reasons why people would not have access to other forms of payment. So that can be a little bit controversial. In general, though, I found that in my own life, mostly because I'm an avid rewards points and miles collector, um, I don't really carry a lot of cash. Even my kids, they, I make them carry $20 each in their phone. I have teen boys um, just for whatever, some emergency. emergency. Only, yeah. yeah or, I don't know what that cash emergency might be, but whatever, or if it's some, but they almost always pay for Apple pay everywhere they go, everything they do, which, mm. uh, you know, we, I have them as an authorized user and we have that loaded into their Apple pay. Do you think that that's a disadvantage for understanding how to maintain your own personal finances. Like it's so easy, right? Just tap, 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 tap. It's like being on a cruise ship where everything is swipeable. And next thing you know, you you're in it $3,000 is our kids being trained properly in personal finance without um, actually the transaction. Not, account? Because even adults have trouble with it when you don't have something physical to see it uh, dwindling in your hand. You know, you give someone your 20 and you only get five, and change back. Um, you're missing that that visceral feeling when you just kind of tap your phone. And Yikes. to be honest, you know, my kids, when they tap their phone, that bill goes to me. I mean, they're not yeah. old enough to have their own credit cards. They're under 18. So they're authorized users. Yeah. Um, I do make them, my husband, and I do make them pay us back, quote unquote, for certain things. And then they suddenly don't want to spend that money anymore. Surprise. But, yeah. So it's pretty interesting, you know, when it comes to something like concert tickets, um, they would go to every concert that comes to town and concert tickets are two, $300 sometimes. At now. least. Yeah. I mean, right. And that's for miserable seats. So I have said to them, you know, my husband and I, we've said to them, okay, you already went and saw this person in the fall. He's coming back in the spring. If you want to go, you have to pay with your own money. And suddenly they're like, Oh, so, but when it's, you know, tapping my credit card, it's like money is no object. So. It's interesting, right? Like if, if you, even adults, you're right. Um, it is easy to tap. It's easy to swipe. Um, when you have X of something, you don't want to give it away. It's a whole lot easier to understand. Um, and, you know, we're all after bettering our lives. And one of the ways to to better your lives is to make more money, right? And, and so the, one of the reasons you're here today is because you put out a report uh, called Industries Where Workers Feel the Most Underpaid. It was published on January 1st. Um, really interesting report. And I, I would like you to just go over high level. What was it? Why did you write this report? What was the genesis for it? And what did it tell us um, that we should know? Sure. So the the bottom line with this report was just trying to uh, find out, you know, a lot of people say they're frustrated with what they get paid uh, for their jobs. You know, everybody has work frustrations, but there, it didn't necessarily match up. The people, what we found was that the people who are the most frustrated weren't the people who are the least frustrated with their pay were not necessarily the least happy 
with their jobs. And education was one of the most striking examples of that. That was, I believe, the industry that had some of the highest job satisfaction, but some of the most frustration with the amount of pay they were receiving. So. Define education for us. Would it be K through 12, higher ed? Was it anybody who identified as working in education? I don't believe that we got that granular in terms of whether it was K through 12 versus higher ed versus some other form of education. You know, people who taught classes on the weekend or something. Yeah. Um, so it kind of encompassed anyone who considered themselves an educator. You know, it's pretty common, especially in K-12, that teachers are one of the most underpaid, underappreciated jobs in the world, in the land, right? And and we depend um, as adults who have kids on our teachers to basically help craft the minds of our students financially or otherwise, um, uh, learning wise, and teachers don't get paid, right? Like they don't get paid very much. It's common. Yeah. You know, I have to tell you, I got a new appreciation for how underpaid teachers are and how hard their jobs are. Um, I taught a personal finance class uh, where one of my kids goes to school. It was a high school level personal finance class. I taught it this past fall and the fall before. And it's a little bit like herding cats. And it's not that these were bad kids. It's just, it's very hard to sit and focus all day. It's hard for adults to do that, right? And we don't have the same um, social stuff going on that kids in high school does. And and it was, I found it really challenging. And again, I was teaching a group of, of fairly well-behaved kids who opted into this, but I can't even imagine what it's like to do it all day for subjects that, um, you know, kids have to take, they don't necessarily say, I want to do math or I want to do English or I want to do science or I want to learn language. They're required to. And I still found it very, very challenging. And even if every kid had been a perfect angel, just the time commitment, you know, making up the lesson plans and grading the tests and the amount of time you have to take to calm kids down and get them to focus. I have found uh, in my own kids and just their friends, you know, I, I think they're great kids, but the attention spans today are so um, different from when I was young, because they're all swiping, swipe, you know, nothing gets focused on for very long. And obviously that bleeds into other areas of life. So this is teachers at every level. I remember when my mom took me to a bank at, I don't know, 14, 15, whatever age I was able to write a check. And I was so nervous to go into the bank and write a check. And she's like, you know, come over to this table. I felt like like the government was putting pressure on me yeah. as I entered this bank. Right. And I'm, I'm like, I got to sign this. So I, I, you know, when you think about, I, I think back to that and go the, the learning experience of walking into a bank and writing a check or taking out money or putting money in, we don't need to do that anymore. To back to your point, we skip, I, I talk about this all the time, in the podcast, we skip the um, intro on Netflix. We skip it because we don't want to watch an intro anymore. I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old who literally have meltdowns when they watch Hulu because there are ads built into the show. And they go, what is this garbage? You know, and they, they freak out because Harry Potter 6 is interrupted by a, a L'Oreal ad. And it, so everything is faster and it doesn't, we don't have to go anywhere to do it. What is that doing to our credit card and personal finance situations as a population? And just from your experience in general, are we just more in debt and don't know how to get out of it? Or are we smarter or less smart financially? Well, we're definitely more in debt. I don't know how much of that has to do with attention span or not, but I believe current levels of credit card debt are something like 1 trillion. I mean, the highest it's ever been. Um, 
I don't know that that necessarily has to do with us being smarter or dumber about personal finance and just uh, a function of a couple of things. Um, one, you know, people just have more stuff. You know, everybody has a smartphone now. You have to have some level of smartphone, but some places don't even ask you for a home phone. People don't, I don't have a home phone. We all have cell phones, right? right? So, but there's a big difference in price between just having one landline for your house. And then if you're a family of four, having four sophisticated smartphones and you have to have high speed internet for the house and everybody has to have a laptop for school or else they fall behind. And so we just need more stuff. And with that, also with the, you know, everyone has their eyes glued to social media, we're seeing people who have more stuff, we're seeing more aspirational lives, and that's becoming uh, the consumerism that we that we see is becoming more normal. So it causes us to feel like we need more to, to, to be more, and that gets very expensive. The other thing that I think is possibly, I mean, this is just me speculating, but I'm finding it that when I do any online shopping whatsoever, um, the ability to just pay in two clicks really removes some of the friction point where you stop for a minute and say, do I really need to buy this when it comes to disposable income items? Um, even if you don't have your credit card handy, you can just click on something, you know, you can click Sorry on. In there. Yeah. Sorry you in just there. log in and like, I mean, you really, it, it, a lot of this stuff, the, the pay and for stuff, it's all designed to remove the friction point where you might say, wait, do I really need this? Um, and to just have yeah. you click. Because clicking in two clicks is a lot easier than walking into a store, trying something on, pulling out your credit card, waiting for it to ring you up. You know, that gives you time to think, and eh, maybe I don't need this online. Yeah. No. Yeah. You know, like that one time you got in line and there are five people ahead of you and you started going, am I going to wait here for this thing? Like, no, exactly. forget it. I'll get it next time. I'll get it next time. Well, you got $58 more in your pocket and maybe you do something else with that, but you're right it makes it really easy for us to spend more money. So, you know, um, I think that goes for, for all types of industries, but I, I was reading back to your report um, just to go backwards a little bit, but th this stat, you said it at the beginning, but I want to drive it home. Um, industries where employees are most satisfied with their organizations. So most satisfied with their organizations. Uh, a prime example of where employees are, um, satisfied with their organization, but feel they are underpaid as education, which includes roughly 60% more mentions of poor pay than average, but also boasts the highest overall workplace ratings. What, what's a takeaway? Like, what do you, what do you think about that when you guys were writing this? What was the takeaway? I don't think it's a surprise to most that people generally don't go into teaching um, for the salaries, right? It's not like people who become investment bankers or something that's extremely um, pay focused, right? Most people go into education because they want to help people. They want people to learn. They want to feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. Uh, and so when you do that, you're not necessarily expecting to make, you know, zillions from it, right? So I think, you know, just being in that field, um, it, it's similar to doing, to me, honestly, it's similar to almost doing social services work. You're doing something that's about a greater good. You're trying to help children learn and get smarter and move on to the next level in life, whatever grade that may be, or whatever stage that may be. And that's something I think that if you enjoy what you're doing, you're do getting a lot of intrinsic satisfaction, which can help mitigate perhaps that you're not, maybe you're not getting a six figure paycheck, you know, or you're not even close to half of that. I mean, I don't, you know, pay scales are so different all over the country when it comes to education. But, um, you know, I think that's where that dichotomy comes in is that there's a lot of um, intrinsic satisfaction from the job, even if the paychecks don't reflect the importance of the job. Are you kidding me? 
No, I'm not. For a third straight year, the Edup Experience will be recording live at Elysian Live 2024 this year in San Antonio, Texas, April 7th through the 10th. Illuminate, innovate, and inspire. That's the framework for the conference. Leaders from institutions around the world will converge at Lucian Live 2024 to discover game-changing technology, share industry insights, and build powerful connections. It's time to explore higher education's greatest opportunities with future-ready ideas, solutions, and best practices designed to drive transformation. You can register now at elive.elucian.com. Epic. Oh, yeah. You've heard me talk about the Insights EDU conference. Well, let me tell you three reasons why I think everyone listening should join us in Phoenix, Arizona on February 20 through 22nd for Insights EDU. One, it's one of the few conferences focused on helping schools serve today's online and non-traditional students. Two, you can expect a mix of speakers you won't hear anywhere else, including higher ed leaders from Google, LinkedIn, Adobe, and more. And reason three, Insights EDU has an agenda packed with sessions discussing the latest trends in higher ed leadership, marketing, and enrollment management. Register now at insightsedu.com and use promo code EDUP to save $50 off your registration. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it's, you know, the interesting part about that is it also kind of says, I know I'm underpaid or I want to say I'm underpaid, but I love my job so stinking much. I stay in it. I stay in it because I love it so much. And it, there's like a, a diminishing return or a sliding scale somewhere in there where you go, you know, because you see teachers sometimes 19, 20 years. And we've talked to many, many, many institutions on this podcast that offer um, teaching programs for higher ed, uh, aspiring higher ed professionals and uh, or for aspiring teachers. And they just are going to do it. They're going to do it no matter what, because they want to teach. And if they make $35,000 a year for the next 19 years, that's okay, because they love it so much. But that doesn't help that profession, right? When, when wages don't go up, it's a, it's a tough spot to be in where you love your job so much and you don't make money doing it. Um, it's a, but, but then you look at tech and the sciences where, um, people are getting really high paid jobs where job satisfaction may not be there as much, right? Is that the trade-off that we make? I think so. I mean, you know, when I think of people who all they want to do is make art, whether that's acting or painting or singing, and they'd rather do that than any other kind of job. And there is a massive risk that they're not going to have success with that. You know, I mean, a teacher obviously offers way more stability than a struggling artist might find. But, you know, the burnout rate can also be really high at some of these high pressure, high tech or or top level finance jobs. I mean, I don't know. I don't know every let's say investment banker or venture fund capital person in the world, but they don't get summers off and they don't, you know, I'm not saying a teaching job is always nine to five, but they, they could, you know, the expectation, sometimes you hear people sleeping under their desks for two hours to finish coding a certain project. And, you know, those are with high pay, it tends to come extremely high pressure. And that's hmm. not to say teachers don't have pressure. It's just a different kind of pressure. What do you advise families, parents, higher education administrators about credit cards in general. There used to be a time when credit card companies would come onto a campus. I know this because I was one of those people that filled out a visa um, and $11,000 later through my four years of college, I, I think I paid that off when I was 28 finally. Um, that doesn't happen as often anymore because uh, I think the rules around it are different. 
Yeah, that shouldn't happen at all anymore. Actually, there's been uh, uh, legislation that's since been passed that you were in college where they're not allowed, where credit card companies are not allowed to market on campuses. Yeah. You, oh, sign up today, you get a free T-shirt right. or something like that. Um, because what was happening was so many college students that you know, it, until somebody teaches you something, you're not just born knowing about credit or bank accounts or anything like that. You have to be taught. And you know, kids were just signing up for credit cards and then not understanding about you know compounding interest and and how high credit card interest rate could be and, mm. and debt was getting out of control and so legislation was passed and they're not allowed to market on campuses in that way anymore um should additionally take out, should, should, should we should you do you ever think that i mean you have kids mm-hmm. will they have their own credit card when they go away to college is it control do you think parents should control it you you know because you see college debt is like a real deal right, right. there's tons of us in debt um uh, i uh, I'm going to ask you about reward cards in a minute, but you, you, so much college debt. And a lot of that college debt comes in two forms. It comes in a uh, form of financial aid and it comes in a form of, I, I just have to eat. I have to do this. I have to do that. And then you add all those things together and you've got a, a you know, something that's hard to overcome. Sure. So let me take a couple steps back with that. Um, yes. My kids will have credit cards right now. I have them both as authorized users on credit cards, which I highly recommend to anybody, even if you just add their name to your credit card and then just stick it in a drawer, because then what happens is your kids kind of tag on and piggyback to your credit score, unless you have bad credit, and then you're not helping them by doing that. Um, Many credit card companies like American Express, um, I can't name them all off the top of my head, but most credit card companies will allow you to add your kid as an authorized user at the age of 13. Um, so as soon as my kids turn 13, I just added them onto an Amex and that's actually what I have loaded into their Apple pay. So they, um, have some experience using it and also to show some credit activity. So what'll happen is when my oldest turns 18, he'll have whatever my credit score is at the time. He should have that like launch with that. as Oh, his wow. Credit score. I didn't so, know that. I mean, more or less. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. there's some other factors there. It might not be quite as good as mine only because I'll have more years of having credit, sure. which is a factor in your credit score, but he'll, he should have good credit. I hope, I hope I have good credit when he graduates. And so well, you're the lead editor for credit cards. We, we hope you do too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. At least I know what I'm doing wrong if I do something right. wrong. Um, so when he graduates, I'll get him a credit card for sure. And um, what I would recommend to folks who are very concerned about their, their families and their children's ability to pay for everything through college. I mean, one thing that you can do, in addition to student loans is get a 0% APR credit card, one that has a 0% APR on purchases that can help you with some of those upfront costs, like, you know, buying a lot of books at the beginning of the school year or, or buying the basics to furnish a dorm room. If you're, if you're living on campus. Um, But again, you know, my kids probably hear me talking about it more than most people's parents. I don't think most people's parents are shoving it in their faces about credit cards. I mean, I make sure my kids understand the technology behind tapping to pay in the supermarket. And, you know, I'm like, this is why there's not mag strips anymore. You know, the mag strips kind of, I mean, I, I really talk to them about it, not because I want to bore them to death or have them think I'm any less cool than they already do, but because um, they should be empowered. They should know that it's a thing. And yeah. also identity know. theft is real, right? Identity theft. Yeah. So you've got to know how things work, how to protect yourself. What happens if um, I, I, you don't have to go very far around a network of people and say, have you ever had your identity stolen? Somebody raises their hand. It's, it's very common, unfortunately, but I want to just kind of close, uh, close this with um, reward cards. Yeah. Why, you know, 
no matter what your spending is, student, adult, or otherwise, you have the opportunity for rewards cards. Why is that such an important concept to take advantage of? Well, reward cards are an amazing thing. It's like money for free, but only, and this is, I wish I could say only in capital letters, right? It's only valuable if you're paying your credit card in full and on time every month. Because if you're not, interest rates on credit cards are always double digits. You know, I think the average interest rate on credit cards right now, it's something like, I don't know, maybe 19, 20%. Um, and that's pretty high, right? But the, the most you're ever going to earn in a rewards card could be 5% back, you know, 4%, 3%, you know. So you're never going to earn more in rewards to overcome the fact that you're carrying a balance. Now, that being said, if you're a student and your credit card needs are really small, maybe you're just using it at a restaurant so you can tap and go or grab a coffee or whatever. Earning rewards back on your, on your spending is like getting a coupon, right? So every yep. time you buy a coffee, if you spend $20 on your credit card and you have a credit card that rewards you with 5% cash back every quarter on dining, you know, you're getting 5% back on that $20. It's not nothing, but it's just a a good way to start thinking about how credit cards can be a tool to improve your life. Ultimately, the most important thing that you should know about credit cards when you're young and in college is that they're one of the most important tools for building credit. And good credit is super important, um, not so you can get more credit cards, but so you get the most favorable rates on all of your loans, everything from student loans to a mortgage someday to your auto loans, if you need a personal loan. Um, unfortunately, without good credit, uh, you get even more penalized for your poor financial decisions. It, it's kind of, it, it's not a system that's great, but it's the only system we have. That's a fact. That's a fact. I, um, I appreciate everything you said, because I think that, you know, um, one of the, one of the lost areas that we have in higher ed, we get student loans. We, we understand title for financial aid and subsidized and unsubsidized, or at least we do as administrators. But what we don't always think about is the personal financial, personal financial, um, uh, burden that students can take on uh, underprivileged students, students from diverse backgrounds, students, you know, I mean, and you end up building this debt behind you to to operate. And it's very hard to build out. It's very hard to catch up on credit card debt. It's very, very hard. People try their whole lives to do it. And sometimes unsuccessfully, because you have to know the mathematics of building uh, interest and amateurization schedules, which is like a very confusing part of this. And um, what what's your general general advice for for you know to close the episode of of maintaining credit cards personal finance what else do you want to say about your role at USA today <laughs> well that's that's a big question that's with three lots, questions actually lots, all in yeah a row. lots of facets so what i will say is when someone is struggling with high interest credit card debt it is it can be super overwhelming and scary um you know my recommendation is if you don't have horrible credit look for a balance transfer card. That's a card that offers you a 0% APR when you transfer a balance from another card or another type of loan to that new card and you pay 0% interest for a set period of time. It could be anywhere from six months to almost two years. And during that time, it allows you to tackle that debt without also having to pay those interest charges. So it helps you pay off debt faster. Um, part of the catch 22 with balance transfer cards is that you need good credit in order to qualify for one. And if you have a lot of debt, a lot of unmanageable debt, you might not have good credit. Um, the best thing you can do is stop using those cards. Stop, just stop, put them in a drawer, pretend they don't exist. Yeah, pay for everything with cash and just do your best. I mean, there. If you if it really gets bad, there are nonprofit credit counseling services 
but do not believe those ads you hear on the radio or they tell you how to settle your debt. Um, 99.99% of them are garbage and they'll get you into deeper trouble. By the way, we we're, we talked about kids and we talked about college students, but I guarantee there is a number of adults listening to the podcast that are in debt, trying to climb out of debt, probably have student loans they're still paying off or put put some, you know, put their backyard fence on their credit card $20,000 ago and are still paying it off and can't climb out. This is just good general advice for care of your personal financial situation. Um, and, you know, we always talk about a credit score. Everything we do in life, there's you're going to pull your credit. You're going to pull it for a mortgage. You're going to pull it for another credit card. Um, so maintaining that credit is so important. Uh, any advice for us on maintaining credit or where to go, where to look, how to do it? Sure. So you're entitled to um, a free credit report every week from each of the three major consumer credit reporting agencies. You can go to annualcreditreport.com. I know it says annualcreditreport.com, but since COVID, the credit bureaus now allow you to pull it uh, weekly. I highly recommend checking your um, credit report from any of those uh, agencies and making sure that there's no errors because there could be an error that's dragging down your score. It could be someone with a name similar to yours, but as a different middle initial that's showing up in your report. It could be a debt that you've cleared up that is still on your report. So making sure that your credit report is accurate is amazing. But almost every bank, if you have their mobile app or you log in online, most of them come with some kind of free credit score checker. Um, so just checking it, getting a baseline idea where you are. And a lot of these bank apps and, and websites, they'll have tools that'll say, oh, let us help you, you know, let's find you a plan to improve your credit. You know, other things that you can do, especially when you're young, um, Experian has a program called Experian Boost that you can tie your uh, utility payments and cell phone payments to that. So those on-time payments can help count towards your credit score and give you a boost, you know, for people with thin credit profiles who may be just looking to pad them a little bit with some of their on-time payment behavior. Thank you for that tip. I, I actually still thought annual credit reports were annual. Was Most that, was that a COVID deal where, um, what, what happened with that? Do you know? Yeah. So during COVID, um, because there was so much pausing of payments on things and, yeah. and companies had to, I guess, part of the deal was they had, in order to get government money, they had to not penalize people's credit reports. So it, they changed it to weekly and then they've just huh. kept it as weekly. And now they're, you know, annual credit report eventually, I suppose, should be redirected weekly credit, weekly credit. <laughs> yeah exactly but yeah i mean a lot of people don't know it and it's confusing and i don't think it's as highly publicized as it could be but it's uh yes wow. absolutely at each one there's three major credit consumer reporting agencies and each one will allow you to check your report for free every week should you wish to do so Ooh, there's the tip. That's that's the add up right there. That's the add up tip. I love it. Thank you. Uh, what, what what are you covering next, Robin? What's the next What's the next uh, thing you're working on that you want to divulge here live on the Add Up Experience podcast? Um, I mean, we do a lot of exciting things. We're going to be working on a tipping statistics survey that should be pretty exciting. Mm. Uh, we always have a lot of great content at USA Today Blueprint. Where should we find you? USA Today Blueprint, is that is there a particular uh, website we can find? Yeah, usatoday.com under the money label Blueprint. It's all things personal finance, and it's all fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, there is our guest today. She's your guest today. Her name is Robin Sachs-Frankel. She is the lead editor for credit cards at USA Today. Robin, thanks for being a part of this podcast. We very much enjoyed, I personally enjoyed what you had to say uh, about finance and credit cards. It is something that all of us fight, isn't it? Yes, and I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and speak with your listeners. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just add up. Attention. It's 
time to register for Elysian Live 2024, April 7th through 10th in San Antonio, Texas. Illuminate, innovate, inspire, explore higher education's greatest opportunities with future-ready ideas, solutions, and best practices designed to drive transformation. Register now at elive.elucian.com. This conference is going to be epic. Hey there, higher ed leaders. Are you thinking about joining the EdUp Experience podcast at Insights EDU on February 20th through 22nd in Phoenix, Arizona? 100%. I thought so. This is the go-to event for higher education marketing and enrollment management. At Insights EDU, you'll gain cutting-edge insights from industry experts, including speakers from companies like Google, LinkedIn, Adobe, Salesforce, and more. Become the transformational leader your campus needs by participating in discussions on important topics like online student demands and preferences, increasing affordability and accessibility, branding, measuring marketing performance, and much more. Insights EDU is the conference you need to attend in 2024. Register now at insightsedu.com and use the code EDUP to save $50 off your registration.